Welcome to another episode of Pat and the Fat Man. Today we'll be talking about the same thing we always talk about. Movies and sports and other stuff we feel like talking about. And today in particular, we're going to talk about part two of Star Wars episode two, Attack of the Clods. The exhausting part, because now we're flipping stories. (laughs) We're going to brazenly charge into probably the worst pile of awesomeness that is in this movie, which is the uh, romantic interlude or interludes of Anakin Skywalker and Padme Amidala, and then thank the maker. <laughs> Towards the end of this episode, we'll be switching over to uh, some Jedi business. Yes, this is the part where basically midday soap operas <laughs> enter Star Wars. <laughs> where do we end up next? Is it the Jedi Council Chambers? Yeah, I want to say we go there. And that's where they decide, so Obi-Wan, Mace, Yoda... And Kiatamundi are all talking about what to do next, where they decide to send Obi-Wan to go find the assassin and Anakin to hide the senator away somewhere safe. Yep, back on Naboo. And not to take registered transportation to go as refugees. Yes. And then um, Anakin goes to Palpatine's office. Palpatine offers to order her. No, that Anakin does that in Palpatine's office to tell. And then that's when he goes, yeah, she will not uh, refuse an executive order. And then he goes into the, oh, they finally give you an assignment. Yes, they finally give you an assignment. Your hard work and patience has paid off. Right, because the, the Jedi Council sends Anakin to the office to get the, Pal- to get the Chancellor to help. And then so there's that whole thing of Palpatine foresees Anakin becoming the most powerful of all Jedi. Yes, which is kind of like, okay, how do you, okay, (laughs) how do you know that he's, how do you even have a feel for what that means? Right. Like, like, who are you to judge Jedi power levels? Right. Mm. And then we go back to Amidala's apartment. She expresses her grumblings about not being there for the vote. Okay, so first she does the stupidest thing anybody does in any Star Wars format ever. She lets Jar Jar Binks vote in her place. Right. <laughs> he leaves Jar Jar in charge. In charge. <laughs> really the linchpin on the entire saga and how it plays out so terribly for so many people is that decision <laughs> right there. Like, you doomed the entire galaxy, Amidala. Good job. <laughs> Good job, Padme. Trust a freaking Gungan. Come on. <laughs> All right, I think I'm done. She talks about how she didn't work all these years just to not be there when this legislation is voted upon. Anakin's like, well, sometimes we got to do what we must. She responds, you've grown up. And he's like, yeah, but Obi-Wan doesn't see it. He's holding me back. I'm ready for the trials, but he won't let me take him. But also, he's like a father to me, and I love him. But also, I hate his guts a little bit. <laughs> like, we got a lot of mixed signals here, buddy. Could you, could you pick a direction? And then uh, they're on the transport to the spaceport. Obi-Wan saying, don't worry, you'll be back in no time. And again, don't do anything without my or the council's approval. You know, honestly, this is probably the least awkward interaction Hayden Christensen has <laughs> right. with, with any character is, is this conversation that he has with Obi-Wan. Right. It is very fatherly. It's very warm. There's not a whole lot of awkwardness going on. They joke a little bit with each other. It's all good, which was good. You know, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people 
and like a lot of the Star Wars actors get blamed for bad performances or whatever. I I I think hey, Christensen was acting the way he was being directed to act, right? You know, faster and more intensity. Like I'm doing it as awkward as I can. More awkwardness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> solidly, this was a good scene. I thought all around. It didn't last very long, but it was good. Right. <laughs> it was short. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Cue the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is where the, the story kind of splits. And so we can, like we tried to do before, talk about each storyline until they meet back up. Yeah, let's let's do that. So we'll talk about it. So you got two storylines from here. You've got the Senator Amidala protection storyline mm-hmm. and the Obi-Wan investigations. Yeah, Obi-Wan Noir. <laughs> noir. <laughs> Which is by far... Um, the the better storyline. <laughs> oh, so much better. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, dear listeners, uh, hang in there with us, just like we had to when we watched this. We're going with the Amidala storyline first. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's the awkward. Yeah, instead of Amidala protection, we're just going to call it Amid- Amidala needs protection. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from Anakin. What's in his robes? <laughs> you know what we mean. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, then uh, the first scene we get in that regard, they're on the refugee ship eating food and talking about the awkward things he talked about, about how Anakin hasn't changed since she remembers him. And then he makes the ultra awkward comment. You haven't changed since I remember you in my dreams. Wah, wah, wah. And the explanation of uh, the Jedi sectarian version of love. Yeah, he talks about um, they weren't allowed to love. And he's like, oh, we're not allowed to have like personal love. But, you know, we're allowed to be compassionate. And, you know, love is kind of the seed of compassion. So in some ways, we're encouraged to love everybody. I'm like, yes, but I think you're taking that to a place that the logic doesn't go. <laughs> See, I think you're twisting the word into something, into a different word, because the word you're thinking isn't the word that it really is. <laughs> I do not think you know what that word means. Right, exactly. <laughs> Next, they're on Naboo, walking through the palace. Um, yeah, they get there, and she talks about how she was the youngest uh, queen ever elected, which brings up further questions like, elected queen, eh? How does that work? Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, are you a queen if you're elected? Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> but that she still felt she needed to serve and be a senator, and Anakin says, I'm glad you decided to serve. I didn't even think there was any awkwardness in that one. That one was pretty, like, straightforward. Just an explanation of why she's a senator. Yeah. And then we get the discussion in front of the current queen. And then what are they going to do with her? And she's like, oh, we're going to go to this one place. And Anakin's like, hey, hold on a second. I'm in charge of security. And she's like, yes, but I know this place. <laughs> so in this particular <laughs> scene, it was kind of like they were both a little... <laughs> Yeah, because she kind of blows him off pretty hard there at the beginning. Right. He's like, well, I think, hey, nah, shut up, you. I'm talking. <laughs> right. He's like, hey, I'm in charge of security here. She's like, well, bitch, I know the planet better than you do. <laughs> He's like, well, okay, yeah, yes, granted. <laughs> but that's not a reason to invalidate me. Yeah. <laughs> so then they're going to the summer place. 
when he first arrived there. And then there's the super awkward <laughs> scene where they talk about where she talks about growing up there and using the swim in the water and dry in the sand. And then he talks about how much he hates sand. It's <laughs> <laughs> sand. Sand. Hate sand. Sand. Sand can go die for all I care. Okay, <laughs> calm down there, buddy. <laughs> and this leads to the awkward touching. Yes. Sexual harassment, Anakin. <laughs> hey, baby. That's a nice arm you got there. <laughs> Did I tell you about how much I hate sand? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're smooth. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all like sand. And then the the mind breaking kiss because it's mind breaking because you know all of a sudden she's like no we shouldn't have but stay but doesn't move away from him yes (laughs) stop. Don't. <laughs> like, yeah, you really put the effort into that one. <laughs> Way to walk away, except that you didn't. <laughs> so then next is the picnic scene? Yes. They're out on a picnic discussing her old boyfriends <laughs> and, then, and then about what's wrong with uh, democracy. Or <laughs> you get the quintessential teenage version of, hey, there's a better system out there than what there is now. <laughs> and you come to realize that he's talking about a dictatorship. He's like, yeah, but you know, if it works. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This is pretty much where you always get, well, democracy sucks. We should replace it with something else. Oh, yeah? Describe what, describe what you'd replace it with. That sounds like a dictatorship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're just afraid of change. <laughs> no, no, we're afraid of dictatorships. <laughs> yeah, well, Castro won't become a dictator. He promised. <laughs> From there, Anakin pulls the the jerk move of pretending that he got hurt while riding uh, cross between a snail and something. <laughs> Like a snail and a kangaroo or something? Like a snail and a cow? Cross between a snail and a cow, definitely. Right. He was cow snail surfing. (laughs) And falls over. She comes running to his aid. He's like, ha ha, fooled you. And so what do they do? They gleefully roll in the grass. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) she's not into him at all. (laughs) Yeah, they shouldn't be doing that. And you you get to, like, they're, you know, on top of each other. And it's about to get awkward. And then it just pans away. And you're like, hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, where am I supposed to think that that went? <laughs> I don't know what I should think about that. Especially since they're obviously two, I was going to say teenagers, but there's one teenager, one 20-something-year-old in the middle of a field with nobody else around. Yep. <laughs> now we come to dinner on the terrace scene. Anakin shows off a bit, you know, with his Jedi abilities, talking about how that would make Obi-Wan grumpy. Oh, and then the witty story about aggressive negotiations. Mm-hmm. And now we come to the second most awkward scene in this storyline. So the next scene, they're sitting next to each other. The fireplace is the only light in the room. <laughs> Amidala is wearing just a stunning outfit. You know, they're not going anywhere, but she decided to change into this stunning outfit for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> like, this is definitely an outfit you would uh, put on to hang out with your friends just when you're hanging out and you're trying to be, you know, friends and not anything else. <laughs> definitely what you would wear. Friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> friends. 
And Kim breaks down, starts talking about how much he loves her and that, you know, being next is and is and not being able to say anything is agony. She's feeling the same agony. You should tell him. Yeah, all, all super ultra, not another the team movie conversation, which in reality would likely be uh, how this kind of stuff would end up going down. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, you know, I'm not going to let you sacrifice your future for me. And I've got a future too. And I'm not going to get drawn into this. This isn't going to happen, even though I'm wearing this outfit in front of you for no apparent reason. Yeah. <laughs> and I should clarify that you'll say, well, just because somebody's wearing something doesn't mean anything. Go, you could say that all you want. But in this particular scenario, there wasn't any reason to wear that. It's like it was just going to be the two of them. So she could have been in sweatpants and that would have been a better argument. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, wearing the getup she's wearing, like, I just, uh, you really have to explain away if there's not an ulterior motive there on her part. <laughs> <laughs> so next scene is in the morning and he's standing out on the terrace, quote unquote, meditating with his hands behind <laughs> his back. <laughs> I mean, he's got the force, you know, <laughs> the force. Right. <laughs> yeah. And she comes out and he's like, no, you don't have to go away. Your presence is soothing. Again, more awkward talk, <laughs> especially yeah. since you basically just, you know, put the the boot down on, on your hopes and dreams. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then she asks him. Does she ask him why he doesn't sleep anymore? Yeah, she's like, I heard you last night. He's like, oh, yeah, I've had dreams about my mother. Something's wrong, and I'm sorry. I know I'm supposed to protect you, but I got to go save my mom. And she's like, you know, that's fine. Let's go see about your mom. (laughs) Yes. Let's leave the relative safety of my peaceful planet in the hideaways that I know well to go to the wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> where you almost stranded me last time. Yes. <laughs> yes, where we almost ended up sold into slavery. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yes, they go off into a miniature version. What would we say? It's another Cadillac. Another Nubian Cadillac to Naboo. We meet up with Watto. Watto's like, hey, who are you? Oh, hey, it's Anakin. You're all grown up. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> and he's like, I'm looking for my mother. Oh, yeah, I sold her. <laughs> what? Yeah, I sold her like a pack of cartons. <laughs> like a carton of cigarettes. A pack <laughs> of cartons. A carton of packs of cigarettes. <laughs> Damn it, there's too many words there. <laughs> Just turn that down. About a carton of cigarettes. Bingo! Bingo, that's the word. <laughs> that's the word. Cartons. I sold her like a carton of cigarettes. I, oh, I shouldn't have been so happy when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about your mom that way, huh? Well, you know, the guy I sold her to, uh, you know, married her and then freed her in that order. for like 10 minutes now. (laughs) 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 Uh, 
yep. And uh, Anakin doing his Joe Friday impression, trying to be all big and bad. Looking and posing for absolutely no reason whatsoever. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> but they find out, and then so we pan to the Lars homestead. You know, we all remember from Star Wars A New Hope, for those of you that have seen it in the original order. Pretty much exactly the same, looks exactly the same. And we uh, we immediately meet who will eventually become Uncle Owen. But right. he is now uh, introduced effectively a stepbrother or half-brother. Mm, yeah, stepbrother. Stepbrother Owen. Because if he's a half-brother, he's too old. Because uh, he looks to be about the same age as Anakin, or maybe even older. Right. And if water didn't sell her until after Anakin left, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, his girlfriend, Brew, And then Kleeg comes up, you know, old one foot. <laughs> Says, you know, we need to talk. Hey, your mother was out picking mushrooms off evaporators and seeing people kidnapped her because they're bastards like that. Yeah, just a little background on the sand people. They're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Effectively, what they do is they uh, kidnap people and animals or whatever they get a hold of that have, you know, blood or moisture. And then they slowly suck the moisture out of them and then leave their dried husks in the desert. So these are not good people <laughs> or even people. I, I, I don't know if they're aliens or not. Either way, doesn't matter. <laughs> terrible, terrible group of folks. And then Agent runs off to go save her, finds her, of course, at the last minute before she dies in his arms. Of course, he doesn't get there in time. Yep. Right. And then he goes crazy and starts killing all the same people. Which, again, they probably deserve it. <laughs> Not that he should, because he's a Jedi, but still probably deserve it. (laughs) They did, you know, kind of torture his mom to death and probably lots and lots of other people. (laughs) So we finished with uh, Anakin brutally murdering an entire village of sand people. Comes back to the large homestead and before. Yeah, it's before the burial. Right. That he, he, you know, confesses in deep agony about how he killed all the Tuscan people. How they're animals, and he killed them like animals. Why couldn't he save his mother? Because Obi-Wan's holding him back. Yep, he wasn't powerful enough. When I first saw the scene, it was pretty uh, hard to watch. Because it just, it's uh, <laughs> its hard to explain. It's just not the greatest. You know, when you associate with the character, right. But when you look at it as this is a teen drama... Okay. Everything he said was believable. <laughs> it's all in that sort of over-the-top soap opera kind of a, a deal. You know, obviously this has a long-term effect on him. So, yeah. And then the next scene is them burying his mother. Everyone's there saying nice words. Anakin saying he's sorry that he couldn't save her, that he promises that he's going to become stronger so that way no one dies, that he promises her. You know, the scene's just missing him using the knife to cut his hand and, you know, drop blood over her grave. I'm going to carve it into my chest. Right. I promise I will not fail you again. <laughs> Too much blood loss. I want to talk about Anakin's mom, because this is something we spent some time talking on before, and I think the council or Obi-Wan or somebody at some point should have let him go out there and see his mom before all of this goes down. Like, he starts having these dreams, 
dreams. They start, you know, they're about as mom. You know, you're supposed to be paying attention to your dreams and maybe checking to see if they're happening. You know, they're pointing out stuff that's happening in the future. This guy is like the chosen one. Yoda has already pointed out that he's kind of a, a little off balance because of this whole mom, you know, his mom. He misses his mom and he's fearful because of that. Maybe they should have let him go see her before this point. I think more likely they should have been training him to deal with his emotions. I think that the Jedi training, if, if anything, they feel that their dogmatic teaching ways means that everything else will work itself out when they really should have been paying attention to that going, okay, you need to deal with this by dealing with it. You know, not by letting him run off to go, you know, see what his mother was doing. Because I mean, if, every time something happens to his mother and he has to go stop, drop what he's doing, that's not going to work out. <laughs> yeah. I, you wouldn't want him to fall into that trap, but at, at least one time. I mean, you take a kid when he's five, you take him away from his mom, you know, he's a slave. So his mom's probably the only one who ever really treated him very well. Maybe some of his other friends. And you completely disappear her out of his life. It just seems like a bad call if later in life this guy is having, like, terrible nightmare dreams where he's not sleeping anymore. Not to let him, like, not to come up with a reason to go out there. Like, to do some other stuff and let him pursue this on the side. Well, that's because typically, you know, the Jedi at this time in their history didn't have to deal with that problem because they took children in before they could attach to their parents, before they could really remember their parents. They don't have a way of dealing with that because they're not supposed to be dealing with that. They're supposed to be able to just focus on training him and that every Everything else wouldn't matter. And like I said, I mean, if if they were to allow him to do that, then, you know, you do it once, then what? where do you draw the line? I don't know, but I, I think they drew it in the wrong place. Like, I think, like, not letting him go out and see her before this point was a bad idea. Like, he's the chosen one, and you took him in later than you normally take. Like, everything about him is a special case. So why not treat him like a special case? That's where I'm at. I, I just think it was a bad decision on Obi-Wan's part, and then on the council in general's part for not dealing with this in a different way. If you start treating him like a special case, then you have no way of making sure that he's going to follow the rules. Because if the rules don't apply to him in this particular situation, then they're probably not going to apply to him in any situation. Yeah, because he's the flipping chosen one. I mean, like, obviously. But he's still supposed to imbibe the Jedi way of life. Yeah, well, the way they chose to do it doesn't work out. So, (laughs) I'm saying... It probably wouldn't have worked out the other way. I mean, in your argument, you're assuming that there's a better way of dealing with this that wouldn't result in him going to the dark side. And the fact of the matter is, is that part of this is uh, the storyline is, is fatalism. It, it's Oedipus. You know, Oedipus was thrown away or was, was sent away from, from his family because it was, he was destined to kill himself and like, you know, be the, the, the end of his own family line. And they sent him away because they thought that if they did that, that that wouldn't happen. And it turns out that it happens anyways. Okay. He kills his father and marries his mother. Right. But he didn't right. know that it was his mother. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm saying, like, he doesn't really end up being his own demise. He cuts his eyes out <laughs> because of what he's done. <laughs> but, but, but the whole point is, is that he was sent away from his home, so that wouldn't happen. Right, yes. So you see what I'm saying is that even if they had let him go see his mother, there's absolutely no guarantee and less likely to the point that that would have been the solution to the end result. I, don't know. I think it would have been better than what they did, which was I, I very much doubt it because then he's got to deal with this guy that is his so-called stepfather. And how's he going to deal with that? 
What do you mean? Like, oh, oh, you mean Lars? Yeah, Lars. Oh, the same way you dealt with him before. Yeah. You, where's my mom? <laughs> right, and then he starts murdering people just because they don't. He doesn't like what they do. I mean, <laughs> the only reason he had any sort of restraint with Watto was the fact that he had at least some Jedi training. I think, yeah, I think if Obi Wan were there with him, you know, maybe he doesn't kill all the Sand people. Well, and then here's the other part too, and the fact that he's had at least some of that stringent Jedi training is that at least then he understands what he did was wrong of what he did to the sand people. Yeah, I still think they should treat him like a special case. So, alright, let's go talk about something more fun, which is of course, Obi-Wan's storyline, which is amazing. This is a fantastic investigative storyline. This storyline to me is like, in my mind, like what Jedi do, or what Jedi do most of the time. Right. You know, the fun Jedi. I'm sure there's Jedi that go out and negotiate people, and there's teacher Jedis and librarians, which is just stupid. But... <laughs> They're tracking down criminals and figuring stuff out and breaking up organized crime. And this storyline is a lot of fun to me. And the diner scene with Dex that kicks the storyline off is probably my favorite non-fighting scene in the whole movie. Mm -hmm. This is one of the few scenes where I think the CGI is believable at all times, or at least I'm willing to suspend disbelief enough. So that's pretty much believable at all times. I love the droid. I love love Dex. Dex is just a great character. He's animated well. And he supersedes uh, so many of the other computer animated characters up to this point. Uh-huh. You, you look at Dex and you kind of look at his design and you're sort of like cringing, expecting a Gungan experience. Like, are we going to get another... Right. <laughs> and this... Some ridiculously, you know, acting or behavioral kind of alien, some flame point alien. Yes, that's right. Instead, we get like the old grizzled miner who's just got a bunch of stories and knows things and you're like, yes! <laughs> yes, this is exactly what investigation's about! <laughs> well, and what makes it more believable is the fact that you know, he does what any of us would do if we had four arms, which is hug your friend while pulling up your trousers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got two hands just for this. Yeah, just for <laughs> yep. Gotta keep them up. <laughs> so, uh... Or Obi-Wan shows him the dart that was from Changeling's uh, neck. Dex informs him that it's a Kamino saber dart. Kaminoians are cloners that stay very much to themselves and that they only talk to people with money. Depends on how big your pocketbook is. How, yeah, how good your manners are. And they don't like bounty hunters, so don't trust them. Well, I, Dex doesn't tell him that. Oh, no, that's about the Genosians. That's later. Right, Sorry. Dooku Sorry. says it. Yes, Dooku says that about the Genosian. Right. But either way, the deck scene is probably my favorite non-violent scene. Mm -hmm. We go to the library from there. The Jedi library. Where Obi-Wan is attempting to find the system of Kamino, but in just south of the Maze of Rishi, whatever south means in galactic terms. Rishi Maze. Rishi Maze. He's trying to find that, and it's not... On the charts. Yep, it wasn't on the charts, and when he goes to ask for help, the librarian's like, yeah, it just doesn't exist. Is it possible the records are incomplete? Nope, just doesn't exist. Yep. Like, it, it doesn't seem to be in the records. Like, do you think the records could be incomplete? Nope. <laughs> if it's not in the records, it doesn't exist. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's never true of any, of any library, ever. <laughs> <laughs> Then from there, Obi-Wan goes to Yoda, who's teaching a group of younglings uh, basic saber techniques. Really, I actually think it's more about um, precognition techniques. You know, like how to uh, tell through the force that something's going to happen. Well, it's the same kind of training you see Obi-Wan having Luke do as his like very first lesson right. in A New Hope, except he's doing it with small children. Right. Doing it better than Luke. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's kind of funny. The Skywalker fan was kind of the reverse curve on this. <laughs> Your training just keeps starting later and later and later. <laughs> like with Anakin, he was five. With Luke, he's 16. With Ray, she's like 43. <laughs> or 20. I don't care. It doesn't matter at this point. But Ray's not Skywalker. Not. Ah, shut up. I don't care. I'm going to think what I think, and I don't care what the movies tell me anymore. Especially that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, especially that one. But we'll get there, folks. Yes, we'll get we'll there. We'll get there. <laughs> the only movie that's going to be more difficult to suffer through than the one we're talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Obi-Wan goes to Yoda. Hey, my friend tells me the system should be here, and I trust him. And as you can tell by the star chart that I'm putting up here, that all the planets in the area are gravitating towards this spot where there's nothing. And so Yoda asks the children, what do you all think? One of them says, hey, somebody deleted it from the records. And goes, hey, that kid's smarter than the librarian. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Like, ah, youth and their ability not to be stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Which is obviously opposite of of reality most of the time. (laughs) And then, you know, the inevitable question like, oh, so somebody erased it from the archives. That's disturbing, right? And it was like, oh, yeah, (laughs) super concerning. Yes. It's like, no, no, this is gravely concerning. I'm like, yeah, that's Yoda speak for this. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So I'll stay here and figure this out. You go to that planet that doesn't exist and figure out what that's about. <laughs> so uh, Obi-Wan takes off, arrives into the system, lands, and is greeted by another alien that we automatically assume is a Kaminoan. Okay, so I will say that so far, we have now violated the normal Star Wars three-planet rule, which is you, you tell a story with three planets in general. Right. And Kamino represents the fourth planet, which... It's an obvious giveaway that this is a terrible Star Wars movie. Because <laughs> we violated the rule of three. So we're on, we're on our fourth planet, Camino, which is a really cool planet. I gotta say, lots of stormy weather and guys riding giant manta ray things that fly and also go in the water. <laughs> and giant cities that tower above the waves but go down into the waves. And you're kind of like, how did they build these in the first place? But it's too cool to question, so we're just going to go forward with it. <laughs> so Obi-Wan is greeted by a Kaminoan who tells him, hey, we didn't think you were ever going to show up. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, good to see I was expected. <laughs> That's not... Uh, yes, please, lead the way. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally sure about that thing that you... Um, what? (laughs) (laughs) So they go to a meeting, come to find out the Jedi Master Sifo-Dyas had ordered a clone army some 10 years ago, which was surprisingly around the same time that he died. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's been dead for that long. Oh my... Well, let's go see clones. <laughs> Would you like to see your clone army anyway since you paid for it? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> uh, I guess so. Let's 
let's go steal. <laughs> so how did you uh, make these clones? What was the source material? Oh, it's a bounty hunter named Jango Fett. Hey, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking for a bounty hunter. Uh, let's go meet him. <laughs> so you get to see the clone training, of which there are young children and there are adults. They're fetuses. Mm-hmm. So, and there's some sort of uh, growth enhancement so that it wouldn't take a lifetime to grow the clones. And they're trained to be docile. They've been genetically modified. And you see them loading up into the ships toward the end of the uh, of the seed. And they're kind of like, okay, random. <laughs> and so this gets back into the how much, how forward thinking was this scheme? <laughs> right. And I was just saying, yeah, because you're just like, they seem very well equipped already. <laughs> Yes. And so then we go to my second favorite non-violent scene, which is the uh, Django Fett, Obi-Wan Kenobi talking, not talking scene. <laughs> the stare down. Yeah, because this is the ultimate investigator scene. Okay, I think you're the guy I want. And I'm going to talk to you and try and get as much information out of you. And you probably know that I'm here to get you. <laughs> <laughs> the silent scene of, confess, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hey, Boba, go hide my gear. <laughs> he doesn't know it's me. Even though, like, you could clearly see it from one shot over Django's shoulder in the doorway. So you're like, if I can see it from this angle, I know we one saw it. <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah, that's probably my, my, and it's funny because the two, my two favorite nonviolent scenes in this whole movie is Ewan McGregor talking to somebody. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the ones that we hate the most are Hayden Christensen talking to somebody. <laughs> yes. And again, I, I don't think it's Hayden Christensen's fault. <laughs> no, really probably, no, I mean, it's probably just the way he was told to direct. And I mean, those were the most emotional scenes in the movie. So it's like, hmm. Yeah. They just seem out of place for like when you say, it's a Star Wars movie. Those kind of scenes seem somewhat out of place. Mm -hmm. They just do. They just don't feel right. But when you're like, oh, it's a teen drama, then you're like, oh, yeah, okay. From there. Oh, we're going to move from there. Oh, yeah. Obi-Wan goes, uses the phone in the rain. <laughs> yes. I'm going to go stand in the rain, in the wind, and have this thing holographically project me instead of, like, I don't know, getting in the cockpit. <laughs> and doing it there. Why did he have to stand out in the wind and the rain? It just seems stupid. <laughs> <sighs> It tells him what's going on. They tell him apprehend the bounty hunter. And then we get that scene, which is fun. You get a Mandalorian fighting a... A Jedi. And it's pretty even keel fight. Yeah. All the little gadgets and stuff that Jango has. Obi-Wan able to effectively dodge and absorb a blast from a transport ship. Mm -hmm. Pretty big guns. <laughs> yeah. And he loses the, um, his lightsaber. <laughs> or almost, and he, you know, I didn't say he loses it. He drops it on several occasions and then tries to get it back. And Django kind of keeps it away from him, which is smart on his part. Eventually knocks him far enough off the building. <laughs> right. Catches himself somewhere down below. And then has to chase him in the starfighter. By putting a homing beacon on it. Yes. So yeah, he chases him through hyperspace and come out and we're at planet number five. Coruscant, Naboo, Tatooine, Kamino. Yeah, planet number five. Yep. We're in the asteroid fields and the rings of Geonosis. And then you have your first, really your first space combat, your only space combat scene in this movie. Yeah, it's the only one that happens. A one and Django Fett fighting each other. Battle ensues and uh, Obi-Wan has to play dead just to lose 
Django. Django goes off to land at Geonosis, and Obi-Wan follows him down. Yeah. I did kind of like the going for the asteroid with the, you know, the exploding sonic bombs and the sort of cat and mouse thing going on. I, I enjoyed that. It was fun. It wasn't like a proper starfight, but it was definitely, I thought it was done well. And, you know, how Obi-Wan eventually gets away from the missile and it kind of disappears off the radar and gets away from it. I, I thought it was all well done. It was definitely a fun scene. Um, I enjoyed it. So then he lands on a hill way, way away from the Genosians and uh, goes scouting. As he goes scouting, he overhears Count Dooku talking with Separatist leaders, one of them being Nuke Gunray from the first movie about not signing anything until he's got Senator Amidala's head on a plate. Uh, and then discussing the rest of them about forming an alliance to create a droid army to fight against the Republic. And Obi-Wan goes back to his ship to try to record a message to get back to the Jedi Council. Realizes that the signal won't reach straight out, so he has to relay it through um, Anakin's, who he discovers is on Tatooine. Yep. And then we flip back to Anakin and Amidala, where 3PO's relaying that he's got a message. They look at the message, Obi-Wan saying, first, that there's a clone army waiting for the Republic in, on Kamino, and then that the Separatists have a droid army on Geonosis and as he's relaying that message, you see him starting to fight against destroyer droids and that you think that he might be dead. Something happens. You don't really know. So Anakin asks the council what to do. They say, just stay there. We'll handle this. And Amadala's like, you're not really going to listen to them, are you? And he's like, well, I got my orders to stay here and protect you. She's like, well, I'm going, so you got to go with me to protect me. Like, That's good enough for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't normally need much to disobey orders anyway. <laughs> but at least I have a convenient excuse. Yes. Also, c through. C-3PO jumps on for the ride. You know, we met C-3PO in uh, episode one and we see him again on episode two because they go back to Tatooine and he has his meet up again with R2-D2 and uh, after this point, they are now along for the whole saga. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I don't know why the large family allows him to take a droid because I have to figure that's kind of an expensive loss, but I guess he built it, so... Right, that would be my thing. And he's a Jedi, so, you know, I do what I want. <laughs> Jedi, I do what I want. Also, I do what I want. <laughs> All right, so we're wrapping up Kenobi. He's obviously in trouble, and the, the wonderfully responsible Padme and uh, Anakin Skywalker decide to go save him. While at the same time professing love for each other. Well, yes, I mean, come on. We're already past that stage. Right? <laughs> I mean, we're into that ridiculousness as hard as you possibly can. <laughs> and uh, so that puts us heading off to Geonosis for episode three of episode two. <laughs> <laughs> Part three of episode two. No, it's funnier the way I say it. (laughs) Why? Because you're afraid you're going to trip up some idiots out there? Well, I'm tripping up myself, so I'm pretty sure I'm guaranteed to trip up at least one idiot. Yeah, you. (laughs) So, uh, part three of episode two, Attack of the Clones. Uh, thanks for joining us. I'm Pat. I'm the Fat Man, otherwise known as Bruce. Stay classy. May the Force be with you. The Force will always be with you. Except, you know, when you're doing that stuff that the Force doesn't want anything to do with, and the Force is not with you. <laughs> well, what about the dark side? Yeah, it doesn't want to be involved either. <laughs> You've effectively just turned away the Force. <laughs> yeah, turned it all off. All of it. All of it.